Hi, we're coming to you live from AHA 2017, and we're talking about accelerating STEMI care. Uh, very exciting results from the Accelerator 2 study, accelerating kind of the time from symptoms to door throughout the country, reducing mortality and improving heart failure symptoms. Talk to us maybe about some of the other steps that we're making to improve STEMI care. Oh, great. Well, I think the biggest issue still is we have fragmentation of acceptance of EMS being able to activate the lab across the country. So there's regional variation that goes on. Um, our study really demonstrated that if we allow EMS to um, be empowered to take a look at the 12 lead and work with the cath labs, that we can save lives. What about outside the setting of STEMI? Uh, say someone's just in shock and they're not having a STEMI or something and need mechanical support. How are we doing there? Yeah, I, Tim Henry and I were talking about that and I'd like for him to take that. Yeah, this is a really important issue, Mike. We've made tremendous strides in STEMI, but the two areas where we really need to improve are out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and cardiogenic shock. And of course, the two go together frequently. And there are isolated systems that are actually doing a good job with both shock and out-of-hospital arrest, but we need to expand this. And it's challenging because um, there's, it makes it complicated. These are high-risk patients and some of them will die. Um, and so the issues of public reporting and state by state, it varies a lot. But we really need to take away those barriers and push people out to develop the system because this is where we can save tremendous lives. And you look, when you have a good system in place to deal promptly with cardiac arrest and cardiogenic shock, it's shocking the number of people that actually will are able to live that you previously thought would not. And in fact, Tim, as you know, we saw that in the STEMI Accelerator program, right. that when you exactly. do these regional protocols and include shock as part of what you're dealing with, you do speed time, especially in the transfer patients, which is a huge challenge. It's incredibly true that whenever you put a system in place to do it, they get better. And so uh, I think that's the challenge that we have. Accelerators show that in regions all across the country you could make a difference. What we really need to do is stimulate this, and, and for people listening, every hospital in the United States should have a system, a standardized approach to myocardial infarction and all their acute cardiovascular emergencies. So we need to stimulate people um, really, and that's what we saw Accelerator too. Very, um, you know, P key people with energy in their mm -hmm. own systems make a difference. Absolutely. It, it always comes down to people. Yeah. I mean, systems and people to implement that. So how do you scale all the things that you guys were so successful with? How do you bring it to every, how do you bring it to Peoria? Maybe uh, Peoria was part of Unfortunately, every community is different. Mm -hmm. There's 15,000 EMS agencies, yeah. and all 15,000 are different. If you're in a place uh, like a Los Angeles or maybe a Boston where you have very large EMS agencies, it's easy to work. Mm -hmm. If you're in a place like a, a Pittsburgh or a St. Louis with multiple mm -hmm. agencies, uh, you've got to go to each single one and, and understand their needs and, and train them. Uh, and then there's this issue which my interventional colleagues know about, which is the pushback from the cardiologists about can right. paramedics read ECGs? Yeah. And mm. I think that remains a huge question in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, there's three ways to read an EKG. You can look at what the machine says. Mm -hmm. You can listen to the paramedic, or you can transmit it and have a cardiologist emergency physician read it. So we can do it. Uh, but there's still a lot of variability in accuracy and call-off rates and systems for interpreting EKGs. And you really need to understand that every single system. And for me, the biggest variability is training. 
If you've got really strong medical leadership and you have the resources to train the paramedics, it works very well. We have many systems which are just, they're flat out broke, they can't afford tires for their trucks, and they can't pay the overtime for the training, yeah. or they just they have a lot of turnover. And so it's really up to us in cardiology, emergency medicine to step back and make sure the medics have that training and the leadership and the feedback to do a better job. Rather than face-to-face -face training, I mean, are there ways we could use YouTube or something to do a lot more remote training to read mm -hmm. these EKGs to scale? <laughs> And so I think it's a really important thing, and we actually have developed, um, you know, at, at Minneapolis Heart Institute actually has a EKG training for paramedics, which I think is outstanding. And so we just need to find a way to disseminate that, um, because I think that's really the key. Um, with paramedics, EMS across the country is so variable, and the resources are scarce. Mm -hmm. So if we actually could put uh, systems in place will make a difference because I agree with Jamie completely we need to empower the emergency room physicians and even better we need to empower the paramedics and my experience is when you do that this is a very amazing this is a group of people that actually take care of people they're very motivated to do to make a difference and that, don't you think I yeah mean, oh yeah and I think your question too what else can we do in scalability we have to have a central database for these regions um, to be able to monitor their results and compare their results to maybe the leader mm -hmm. in the region so best mm -hmm. practices can be shared. Kind of like what we did in NERMI where yeah, we bench everybody, benchmark yeah. everybody locally and nationally. Yeah. And we've had that um, great report that Mission Lifeline had provided from the action mm -hmm. registry get mm -hmm. with the guidelines. And now with the breaking apart of that national database, mm -hmm. um, regions will have to make a choice of what they're going to use and it's important that they pick one and keep that going. Um, we had over 90 regions, Mike, wow. in the country that were using those reports. So it's important to get them back up and use them and that will sustain So what them. are the barriers to getting that back up and running? I mean, it seems like one of the best things the American Heart Association could do with all of its uh, resources to make that happen. So the challenge now is that the professional societies have, have um, no, no longer have this agreement to do it together, which is unfortunate. And I think we as, um, as leaders who work with both professional societies need to make sure that we're coming up with solutions that are helpful for these regions. And yeah. Tim's um, head now of the Mission Lifeline yeah. ACS committee. What's the plan with that, Tim? Yeah, so I'll say, I think this is really the goal. We're not there yet. but. Um, the focus with the uh, get with the guidelines CAD is not just that you have to fill out those forms for them, but that they will be able to interact with lots of systems around the country have very good data already. Mm -hmm. So in Los Angeles, for example, there's 37 SRC. There's a lot of data. And the point is to collect, connect that data to a, a uniform place where we can use it. So to be a little more flexible about letting everybody put their own data in and using, right. uh, and, and I think, you know, this is the era of big data, right? We should be able to solve this. Well, it's only big if we have the data. It's so exactly uh, right. right now we have little data. We've got to get to big data. <laughs> and, but we have to have yeah. the will to do we it. We have to have, it's, these sound like educational issues and political issues, not yes. science issues right. and not big data issues. It's getting the data. It's, it's, it's good data, and I can't emphasize it enough, you know, as clinical trialists you are, publishing papers and looking at p-values and statistics, 
But for changing care, it's even more important. To, for me, as a physician, yeah. to go to my hospital and say, you need to let the nurses do EKGs in the ER, won't happen unless I have data to show them this is needed. Well, it's, a, it's the p-value becomes the people value, the, <laughs> the price value, and uh, the public health value. I think yeah. we've got to have an alternate interpretation of the, the p-value in this context. Well, guys, thanks for all your efforts. Um, and, you know, it sounds like we still have some educational challenges, some political challenges, but it sounds like you've created a great roadmap. Opportunities. Opportunities. Great. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us, and thanks to all of you for joining us here live from AHA 2017.